This is the West Concord Sermon Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you receive a blessing from today's message. Well, last week as we were in the book of Revelation, in chapter 7, there was a tremendous time of worship around the throne of God. Again, heaven is not going to be some dull and boring place. Oh my goodness, no. Heaven is going to be a place of celebration, of worship. As we focus upon the Lamb of God on His throne, Jesus Christ Himself. God gave us a bit of a break last week from the stress and the drama of the tribulation period that is coming. And what an enjoyable pause for hope that was. For Jesus is our hope. But it was a pause because this week he is going to reveal that final seal, that final seal judgment. And the thing about it is that seal, as we will see, releases another set of judgments that will go on during that time. Another series of seven judgments sounded by trumpets. And then God is going to continue to deal with the world that had rejected him. And yes, again, Revelation is a very difficult book to get through sometimes because there's a tremendous amount of judgment and drama. People often ask, why do you preach it? Why are you preaching that? Well, for one reason, it's in God's Word, and it is God's Word. And if I did not preach it, if I did not teach it, I would not be doing my job. Secondly, God wanted us to know the rest of the story. God wanted us to know what is coming. And we see it's an admixture of good and difficult. And what decides that, to a great extent, is what you and I do with Jesus Christ. Whether we receive Him by faith for salvation and come to know Him as our Savior, or if we do know Him, whether we live by faith in Him and with Him. See, every action, every, every thought in this world has and has always been purposeful. And there will be consequences. And as we open chapter 8 and verse 1 this morning, we're going to look at the relationship between the altar of God and the throne of God. Now, when we think of the altar, we naturally think of prayer. From time to time, we'll open the, the front up for people to come and, and significantly bow before the altar of God to pray and seek, search out God and seek His face. And our hope is that through Christ, our anticipation is that our prayers are moving from the altar to the very throne of God. As a matter of fact, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, it tells us that, that God has provided Christ and through Him, we have confidence or boldness to go before the throne of God, to find mercy and grace during difficult times. I don't know about you, but that is comforting to me. That because I know Jesus, I can go right to the throne of God anytime, anywhere, and, and bear my heart to Him, no matter what's going on. 
One of the best prayers, one of the prayers we know best, rather, is, of course, the pattern of prayer that Jesus left us. We call it the Lord's Prayer in Matthew. And it wasn't ever meant to pray word for word. It was simply given as a pattern. And we've taken that prayer apart before and demonstrated the different aspects of it. But in Matthew chapter 6, it talks about this prayer, and, and I just want to read the first part of it to you again this morning. It says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. Now, it's right and proper to pray for God's will to seek God's face, to pray for God's will in our lives. We should do that. And King, Christ's kingdom comes when we mold ourselves to be kingdom citizens. And we do the work of God's kingdom. And God empowers us to do that work. And God enables us to do that work. But quite, quite frankly, one day His kingdom will come and be established on this earth in a tangible, physical sense. And as we're praying that prayer, we need to be mindful of that. But often prayers like this prayer, we seek God's will, we seek God's kingdom. And many times when we're praying, like King David, praying the prayers during difficult times, we seek justice. We seek intervention. We seek help. Somebody in our lives has harmed us. Somebody in our lives has hurt us. A situation has made life difficult. Whether it's finances or whether it's our health or our job or our family or even our church. And more often than not, our prayers, although we don't necessarily use the word, we're seeking justice and righteousness in some way. We're at the altar of God, going to the throne of God, asking God, make it right. Make it right. And again, that can include anything in our lives, our health, our finances, our family, as we mentioned, our relationship with a friend or with our spouse or with our children, our parents. We look at our nation and our world and see all the trials, tragedies, and injustices that seem to be mounting and exploding around us. And we beg God, make it right, make it right. We want justice. And generally when we pray for justice, we want God to get them who are causing the injustice. Lord, deal with those people and you fill in the blank. And we pray that God would be just and bring justice. But there's a bit of reality to that prayer that we often don't think about. And that is when God does bring justice, sometimes it's not just those we think have hurt us, but maybe sometimes we are also on the receiving ends of God's justice. H.L. Mencken said this, he said, Injustice is relatively easy to bear. Now, that depends on what you're dealing with, of course. But he says, in comparison, what ultimately stings is true justice. 
Oftentimes, we think of injustice concerning the other person, the other girl, the other guy. They're being unjust. God, go get them, we shout to God. And very rarely do we ask ourselves, are we living justly before God? And while sometimes it feels good to see other people dealt with justly, when we become the recipient, it stings. So we pray those prayers and we ask God to step in. As we move into Revelation chapter 8, we're going to see the connection between the altar of God and the throne of God. As the last 2,000 years, the church of Jesus Christ, the saints of God and Israel before us, has prayed, God, make it right. God, fix it. God, deal with it. God, help it. And doesn't it seem sometimes like God doesn't answer those prayers? I mean, let's be honest. Don't look at me like you're hyper-spiritual either. Doesn't it seem like sometimes you've prayed for God to deal with something and something to make it right and He doesn't hear us because nothing happens? Well, God doesn't care. But I'm here to tell you He does. And I'm also here to tell you that God does answer prayer. Now, we've gone through the whole litany. Sometimes God says no. Sometimes God says wait. Sometimes God says yes. But as we read chapter 8, we're going to see God answer those prayers concerning justice and injustice. And as we look at it, you may not be prepared for what you're going to see and hear this morning. And again, as a pastor, I'm not one of those guys who takes great joy in shouting and preaching the justice and judgment of God. I don't revel in the fact that the people who've been against God one day will get theirs. Because quite frankly, I deserve mine. It breaks my heart because people are estranged from God. Because as we spoke about it in my Sunday school class earlier, God loves everybody. Not just good people. Because there's no such real thing as good people. God loves everybody. Jesus Christ died for everybody, including the worst human beings that you can think of, and I know already the names rolling through your mind. Some of y'all think I'm talking about church members. That's why you're laughing. No! I get a couple of y'all doing side eyes. I'm talking about you, Bill. No, but anyway. God loves us all. And you know, I was telling my Sunday school class this morning, I sometimes think about those who reject Christ. Who when they come to their death, and they close their eyes and take their last breath, when they awaken in eternity, what's the first thing they see? Separation from God. Eternal condemnation. I don't joy in that at all. I hope you don't either. So when we last left the book of Revelation in chapter 7, there was a celebration. There was a time it was singing and shouting. 
But as we open up chapter 8 and verse 1, we see heavenly silence. Revelation chapter 8, verse 1, it says, When he opened the seventh seal, remember there are seven seals on the deed to the universe that has been handed to the Lamb of God. And because he is the creator and sustainer of everything, he is the only one with the authority to break those seals. And we've seen the six seals broken from Revelation chapter 6 all the way up till now. Now we're at the seventh. We've just had a great worship celebration. A great worship and gathering is incredible. And now it says, when he opened the seventh seal, notice this, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Now, we've been silent not even five minutes, and it was uncomfortable, wasn't it? We live in a world that is very noisy. TV, internet, computers, devices, cell phones, AirPods, radios. There's always some going on, some noise going on. But here there was silence in heaven. Just think about it. They were raising literally the roof. They were having a time. It was shouting and singing and all of a sudden, <coughs> silence. There was silence in heaven for about a half an hour and I saw the seven angels who stand before God and they were given seven trumpets. So the seventh seal, the last seal is cracked. And another series of judgments will be coming. And there are seven angels that will be included in this. Notice what he goes on to say. I saw seven angels who stand before God. There are some Old Testament passages that seem to indicate that there were seven angels whose duty was to stand before God. And if anything else, it was in Jewish tradition that this was the case. Silent, quiet seven seals and seven angels the number seven in the bible seems to indicate completion but the silence was there because god's authority needed to be recognized yet again as a matter of fact earl f palmer revelation scholar said there is communicated in a very dramatic way in this quietness the full and awesome authority In other words, God was getting ready to release the last of the seals. And it was necessary that heaven became silent to recognize his authority. And as the sound of the seal was broken and as the seven angels came to attention, you would hear a pin drop. It was so quiet. I think oftentimes we go through life with noise and radios and devices and music and TVs and friends. We always have to... Because, I don't know, sometimes we're trying to drown something out. 
When was the last time you literally sat in silence for an extended period of time? Some people are afraid to do that because they're afraid of where their mind will go. But when was the last time you literally took just a printed Bible or even your device but turned off the sound and just read Scripture and sat in silence and contemplated the majesty and the awesomeness of God? That's what was going on here. Because God takes judgment very seriously. And it was necessary to get a right head about who God was. So we see a heavenly silence. And then the silence is broken as the seal is broken. And we see the next thing is the prayer of the saints. Notice in verse 3 that another angel having a golden censer, a censer was sort of a, a burning pot or a burning container containing coals and as we see here, incense sometimes. Another angel having a golden censer came and stood at the altar of God. The altar was where sacrifices in the temple and the tabernacle were given. The altar is where the people of God would come and kneel at God's feet and pray. Back in Revelation 6, we saw the martyrs of the tribulation period gather under the altar of God and beg Him to avenge them. The altar of God is a place of supplication, a place of request, of pleading to God. It's where we meet God. He stood at the altar and he was given much incense. I, I, have y'all ever, I mean, I grew up in the 60s. I smelled incense. My brother's nickname in high school was Hippie, okay? He made Aaron look like Mr. Rogers, all right? He, my brother's nickname was Hippie. And in my brother's room were black light posters with all the neon colors. And my brother, he had incense burning all the time, and he had Black Sabbath playing on his stereo. My brother was a hippie. But you could smell the incense wafting through the house. And then my dad comes home from the Philippines, and you know what he brought back with him? Boxes of incense! Blech! Stunk! And he got, and then we had incense burning in our family room. If you wanted to breathe, you had to go outside. That stuff is terrible. But the incense that God, as he speaks of it, is a sweet-smelling savior. I, savior. I've smelled Middle Eastern incense before, and it is sweet. It's not like the stuff you would buy at the mod shop down the street in 1969. No, no. I've smelled incense, as they're talking about in Scripture, and it does have a sweet aroma. And whenever the Bible speaks of that aroma, that incense, he often likens it to the prayers of the saints, as he does now. Look what it says. It says he was given much incense that he should offer it, notice, with the prayers of all the saints. Back in chapter 6, we saw the prayers of the martyred saints during the tribulation. But here we see the prayers of all the saints. Do you know who that includes? You and me as we pray. God hears your prayer. God, God receives your prayers as we're going to see in just a moment. But the prayers of all the saints, he offered it upon the golden altar which was before the throne. Again, as we go through Scripture, we often see the altar and the throne together. In Hebrews, we come before the throne, confidently seeking God's help and grace. 
taking those prayers for justice, taking those prayers for righteousness, for fairness. And they go before God and they go into his nostrils as a sweet smell of incense. It says in verse 4, And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. So as we see the prayer of saints, this incense is a picture, a symbol of the rising prayer of the people of God, the rising prayers. So when you pray for your children, when you pray for your job, when you pray for that health issue, when you pray for that disagreement or disgruntlement with somebody, when you're praying for healing, when you're praying for wisdom, that does rise before God. That does go before God. And God glories in it and God rejoices in the prayers of the saints. It's a sweet aroma to his nostrils. And here we see these, these, these prayers. As they've gone before God, the prayers of the saints rising before God, and we see in the last part of that passage the receiving of those prayers. God sees them. God, God receives those prayers. And again, God's not always going to answer our prayer in the immediate moment the way we want him to answer it. That's frustrating, isn't it? Again, don't look at me like you're, you swallowed uh, the New Testament. It's frustrating. When you're desperate, you're praying, and you're seeking God's face, and it's like heaven is silent. Somebody's hurt you. Somebody's harmed you. Somebody's hurting or harming a member of your family. Your health is having difficulty. You've lost a job. And you're praying, and you're begging God, and it seems like God blesses everybody but you. And it seems like there's never a response or an answer. Well, let me tell you, that prayer is still going up. And let me also tell you that those prayers for righteousness and justice, if they're not answered now, they will be. And this is what this chapter is about. It's about the connection of the altar and the throne. So the prayers of the saints going up to God. Notice what the next passage says. Verse 5. Then the angel took the censer where the prayers of the saints are wafting up, filled it with fire from the altar. And notice what he does next. And he threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and earthquakes. All those prayers for justice, all those prayers for God to make things right, he's about to do that. He's about to answer those prayers, prayers that have been prayed for millennia from God's people. Yes, it seems like God doesn't hear. It seems like God doesn't care. And it's frustrating. But God one day will answer those prayers and he will make things right. And this is part of what the tribulation period is all about. God is going to deal with the world and continues to deal with the world that rejects him. Some people say that's harsh and that's cruel, but understand this, God demonstrated his love by opening the doors of heaven freely. And before judging any human, he himself became the judge, taking on flesh in Jesus Christ. The Bible says God wills that everyone would be saved. Unfortunately, they reject him. Even though God has made salvation easy for us, 
free. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Over and over again, we're reminded, and the gospel is presented, the good news is Christ has bought and paid our way into heaven, our way into a relationship with God. The good news continues to tell us that we cannot earn it, we cannot buy it, it's, religion won't get it for us. The good news is we receive that gift by receiving it through faith, trust, complete reliance upon Jesus. Anybody, anywhere, at all times, if they want to be in heaven, if they want to know Christ, if they want to have God, all they need to do is come and confess their sin before him and place their confidence in his son who died for them. God would give them everlasting life. And still people reject. Still people say no. Still people, because of our human pride, they turn their backs on God. And there's injustice and crime and struggling and pain and anger in the world. And we pray, God, deal with it. God, help us. God, make it right. Well, right here, as the angel takes the the fire from the altar and mingles it with the prayers of the saints and he throws it to the earth. Judgment continues. Verse 6, so, even, so the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. Warren Wiersbe says the purpose of prayer, it has been said, is not to get man's will done in heaven. We do that. Lord, fix this, heal this, change this, provide for this, get him, deal with that. We often think God is our cosmic bellboy, our blessed benefactor. But the whole idea of prayer technically is to seek God's will. Thy kingdom come, not my kingdom. My kingdom needs to be replaced with God's kingdom. That's the problem. We often see ourselves as the king and queen of our own little fiefdom. And when our own little world doesn't work out the way we want it, we get mad. Well, the whole idea of God, our prayer to God is to say, God, your kingdom come. Work in my life to give yourself glory. And maybe fixing, healing, helping, and dealing isn't what God has in mind right now. So, it's God's will, not ours. He says, but to get God's will done on earth, even if that involves judgment. Sometimes we ask God to help us with something, and sometimes God has to deal with us in the midst of that thing. Sometimes our attitude is wrong. Sometimes our actions are wrong. And sometimes the answer to that prayer, thy kingdom come, your will be done, is judgment. And that's what's happening here in chapter 8. That's what's happening with the tribulation period. Wiersbe goes on to say this. He says, like it or not, the prayers of God's people are involved in the judgments that he sends. He says, the throne and the altar, by the way, which is where I got the title for this sermon. The throne and the altar are related. True prayer is serious business. So we had better not move the altar too far from the throne. 
In other words, when we're praying, we better realize that we are going to the throne room of God by virtue of faith in Christ. And we are seeking God's will or should be seeking God's will rather than our own. And that's hard. That's hard. That's why oftentimes when we're praying for justice, there are times when we are going to be the recipients of that justice. And it stings. And like it or not, as we view the tribulation period and all that's related with that, that is actually an answer to prayer from the saints. That God is going to one day make it right, but His righteousness involves judgment. More often than not, not only do we move the altar too far from the throne, but sometimes as we go before the altar, we seek to sit on the throne at the same time. So God is about ready to answer your prayers, my prayers, and the prayers of the saints. And you remember back in chapter 6, the martyred martyred saints of the tribulation period, those men and women and children who were killed for their faith during that time. And listen, that just doesn't go on in the tribulation period. That's happening today. All over this world right now as we sit in this comfortable building in these comfortable chairs listening to the beautiful music, we're going to leave here and go sit down to a good lunch, maybe take a nap. Your brothers and sisters, over, all over the world, my brothers and sisters, many of them are being imprisoned, persecuted, and yes, killed for their faith in Jesus Christ. We often take God for granted. We take worshiping for granted. We need to move the altar back to the throne again. So briefly, let's look at these judgments that are coming. The first four trumpets as we see them this morning. And again, these are successive judgments. There were six, uh, seven seals. The seventh seal begins the seven trumpets. And then we'll see in the future the seventh trumpet will open up a new series of seven judgments. But we see four things happening. The first trumpet, we see vegetation struck. It says in verse 7, And the angel sounded, and hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. Now earlier, God said, don't touch the vegetation till I've sealed my evangelists. But we saw in chapter 7, he sealed them and got them ready. Now God is going to unleash even greater judgment. I happen to believe we are tasked with taking care of our environment. I happen to believe that God tasked Adam and Eve back in the garden and it's still our command to, 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 to take care and manage this planet. But many are talking about the world being destroyed by global warming. We should take some of that seriously, but at the same time, it's not going to be destroyed by that. If, the, if there's any environmental destruction coming, here it is. The judgment of God is going to rain down. Not only that, but the second trumpet is the seas are struck. Then the angel, second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire, like a giant uh, meteor, was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood. You know, I grew up in Tampa, Florida, and uh, we used to be out on the boat all the time. You can tell by my savage tan that I did that. And... uh, We'd be out on the islands, we'd be fishing, we'd, and there are times we couldn't fish in Tampa Bay because of something called red tide. 
And red tide was when enzymes would come and they would, and, and literally part of the water would look a brownish red. You couldn't swim in it. You couldn't fish in it. It would go for months, if not a year or two, before we could really go and do anything serious in Tampa Bay. And I can't help but image that when I, when I read this passage. The sea became blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Not only will land suffer, but the seas will suffer. Fish and wildlife in the seas will suffer. Shipping will suffer. Businesses will suffer. Nations will struggle as God brings judgment. The third trumpet, we'll see not only the seas struck and the vegetation struck, those are the salt waters. What about the fresh water? Well, here we go. Verse 10, then the third angel sounded and a great star fell from heaven, another burning like a, a torch, another meteorite type thing. And it fell on a third of the rivers and on springs of water. Evidently, this massive thing goes so deep that it affects underground springs and rivers. It says the name of the star is Wormwood, which literally means a reference, is a reference to bitterness, means bitterness. And a third of the waters became wormwood or bitter or poisoned. And many men died from the water because it was made bitter. And then finally, the last trumpet, or the fourth trumpet, there'll be three more that will follow, and we'll talk about that in just a second. But verse 12, then the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck. In other words, all of the atmosphere is going to be struck as the smoke of these things and as the fires rage. It says a third of the moon and a third of the stars so that a third of them were darkened and a third of the day did not shine and likewise the night. Serious stuff. Again, this is not pleasant to read. This is not exciting to read. I don't get titillated by this as some preachers do. It's a heartbreaking truth. And understand this about Scripture. There's a lot of wonderful, comforting things in Scripture, but there are a lot of hard sayings in Scripture as well. There's a lot of difficult passages because God wants us to take His holiness and justice seriously. We saw in 1 John 4 this morning where it said God is love, and God is indeed love. But God is also holy and just, and He must judge sin. We saw in Revelation 8, just I mean Romans 8, just a few weeks ago, that the whole world fell during the fall. Nature and the planet is also cursed, and God must judge it as well. And so in this judgment, these trumpets, the first four, vegetation struck, sea struck, water struck, atmosphere struck, we come away with that being appalled and aghast. But again, here's the truth. God is creator. He can do whatever he wishes with his world and he is going to deal with it. And he is going to answer those prayers. God, make it right. God, bring justice. Well, for justice to occur, just judgment must happen. The first four trumpets. Why? Why does that have to happen? What's going on? Well, I go all the way back to Isaiah chapter 59. I found this passage some years ago, and I have never been able to let go of it. I don't want to let go of any of the Word of God, but some, why, some reason this passage just screams in my head sometimes. In Isaiah chapter 59, God was looking at the, at the panorama of His people. His people Israel, and even they were not faithful to Him at times. 
And this is what he says about earthly justice. He says this in Isaiah 59. When we turn back our backs, our backs upon God, this is what happened. Justice is then turned back and righteousness stands afar off. Do you, do you, are you experiencing that now as you read the news today? As you read what's going on, not only in this country, but all over the world? It's infuriating, it's frustrating, and sometimes it's even frightening. Seems like every time you turn around, there's some injustice, unrighteous situation, wickedness, corruption. Well, that's what God is talking about. Justice is turned back. And righteousness stands afar off. Why? Well, here it is. For truth is fallen in the street. One of the things I've noticed in the last year or so, I don't know why, and Susan notices it even more than I do, because I'm usually driving, is all the trash on the side of the road. You ever know, have you all noticed that? I live in Harrisburg. I oftentimes drive down Moorhead from 29 to go home, and there's trash all over the road. I don't know how people do that. I was taught, don't litter. Even before I was a Christian, I was told, don't litter. And then as a Christian, again, we're tasked with caring for God's environment. And it's frustrating to see people just throw stuff and trash it. But even more frustrating is because we've taken truth and we've thrown it down into the street. In the picture on your slide there, you have a Bible on a muddy street thrown away. I've actually seen something like that before. I picked up that Bible and I took it, but unfortunately it was beyond being cleaned up. But I tell you what, I've never been more brokenhearted to pick up that Bible that somebody just threw on the street. Now maybe it slipped off a car, I don't know. But that's what we're doing in our culture today. And listen to me very carefully, church. I'm sorry if you're watching online. You, you don't have to see my face anyway. But that's what we're doing with the Word of God in the church. We're throwing it aside. We're throwing it aside by ignoring it. We're throwing it aside by not paying attention to it. God bless you for being here listening to the Word this morning. But our culture is struggling not because of bad people, because quite frankly all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Gun violence, racial unrest, perversion, sexual perversion, all of this stuff. You know why that's going on? It's because we've taken the truth of God's Word and we have thrown it down. Don't you dare amen me. Don't you do it. Because I'll tell you who the biggest guilty party of that all is we who look in the mirror every Sunday morning and every day. We can sit there and have gun laws and, and sexuality laws, pronoun laws. We can have laws against racism, laws against drug abuse. But until the human heart is changed by the very truth of Almighty God, those are just band-aids. So it's a little wonder when judgment comes, we think, oh my goodness, how can God have that happen? We get all appalled and upset about what we read in Revelation, but my word, Justice is turned back. Righteousness stands afar off. Truth has fallen in the street. And notice this last line, and equity cannot enter. God is the ultimate arbiter of justice and fairness. And when we throw that down, you have anarchy. 
So in this passage, there's silence in heaven because this is serious business. This is not something to celebrate, not something to go out, oh, God's going to get them. Because it's not us against them, it's God dealing with all of us. We need to pray for people. We need to get on our knees and ask God, are we what we're supposed to be? That's what Peter said. Peter, Peter in 2 Peter talks of God burning up the earth and, and talked about God's righteous judgment coming. And it's a very violent passage. Very hard to hear, very hard to read. I get that. And then afterwards, this is what Peter said. And this is what I'm going to leave you with this morning. He says, therefore, now have you heard me say it, whenever you're studying the Bible and you see the word therefore, ask what it's there for. It refers back to the previous material. Therefore, since all of these things will be dissolved. In other words, notice God kills the vegetation. God, God kills a third of the seas, the fresh water. The atmosphere is blocked out for a while. And this is just the, the, the first four trumpet judgments. There are three more of those. The angel calls them three woes or judgments that are coming, and they're going to be severe. And then there are seven more bold judgments after that. Yeah, the things you see around you, the things you and I hold dear, they're going to be dissolved. Things we think is, are important. So he says, therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, here's the question. Here's the question for us this morning. Well, for me, and for you. And if you walk away from this question, God help you. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of person ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? You know, when we read these passages in Revelation, God's going to get them. God's going to get those perverts. God's going to get those racists. God's going to get those drug addicts. God's going to get those corrupt politicians. That's not the response God's looking for. He wants you and I to look in the mirror. In light of all of these things that we cling to, hold to, you and I need to ask the serious question right now this morning. And I'm not going to have an altar call today. Because all that does is give people time to come up and they deal with it and they walk out and forget it. No, no, you're gonna, I want you to carry this in your heart and mind just like I'm going to and have. What kind of person am I going to be in light of this? Is this real or is this not? What kind of Christian am I going to be? Maybe instead of asking God to burn up people, maybe we need to pray for them. Even the unlovely and the unkind, people we don't like politically, don't like, we don't agree with, they don't look like us, act like us. We need to get on our knees and pray for them and ask God to help, bless, save and listen, we need to be here doing just what you're here this morning, worshiping God, lifting him up. That's why Paul said in Hebrews, forsake not the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, empty chairs, look. He said, then so much the more as what? You see the day approaching. What day? The day we're reading about. Let's stand together as we close in prayer. Again, it's decision time. And some people walk out of here no different than they came in. That's fine. That's between you and God. But I pray not. I hope you'll pray for me. I want you to pray for me. That I might allow God to mold me and change me however he needs to, no matter what and no matter how hard it is and no matter how difficult it hurts. 
Because as I've been studying Revelation in the last few weeks, it's just come home to me so much deeper. And as I look at the world around me, I can't tell you that we're living in the last days. I believe we are, but I can't be dogmatic. But I can tell you this. No matter what happens, it's not going to get any better anytime soon. Maybe God can bring a revival. He's trying. But in light of all of this, what manner of person should I be? What manner of person should you be? I hope you know Christ as Savior. I hope you've trusted him as your personal Savior. I hope that you know you're going to heaven if you were to die. Christ died, took the blame for your sin. He was buried, rose again from the dead. He offers freely to all who would believe on him salvation. Would you trust him? If you have tr trusted him, great. But if you've never trusted him, do it. But my brother and sister in Christ, this is beyond just being the West Concord Baptist Church. We are the church of Jesus Christ. We are the last hope in a seemingly hopeless world. Judgment is coming. This is not a fairy tale. This is not some pipe dream. This is not some televangelist spouting off nonsense. This is coming. In light of it, what kind of person should you and I be? Our Heavenly Father, Lord, as we finish our time to gather this morning, we walk away. Some of us are going to a council meeting after church. Some of us are going to lunch. Some of us are going home. Father, I pray that we would walk out of here burdened, broken, frightened to some extent, maybe ashamed of our own complacency. Start with me, Lord. I want to start, I want to finish rather better than I started. So Father, I pray for these who have gathered this morning and those who are online. When we look at the world and we grieve over the injustice and sorrow and perversion, Father, we have to ask ourselves, I have to ask myself, what have I done or not done to contribute to it? Father, use me and use these who are gathered. And we'll give you all glory for it's in Christ's name we ask these things. And all of God's people said, For additional sermon resources and to find out who we are, visit us online at westconcordchurch.com. Thanks for listening.